0: Would you grab your Bibles turn to John chapter 20? Today we're going to look at 11 through 18. So Mary has come back. That's where we find her. She's gone to tell Peter and John. Now she's come back to the tomb herself, Mary Magdalene. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Well, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. So Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have yet, not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that He had said these things to her. So in between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, Jesus appeared to 11 specific people or groups um, 11 times. Mary Magdalene is the first eyewitness. Then he appears also to the women that have come to meet her in Matthew 28. He appears to Peter in Luke 24, 34. Um, The two disciples traveling to Emmaus in Luke 24... He appears to them. Ten apostles in the upper room without Thomas. Um, Several days later, the eleven apostles in the upper room with Thomas in John 20. He appears to seven disciples who are fishing, waiting for him in Galilee. Paul writes to us about some other instances that we don't know about. In 1 Corinthians 15, 7, he says that Jesus appeared to 500 brothers at one time. So 500 people at one place in one setting were able to see the resurrected Jesus. James in 1 Corinthians fifteen seven was also able to see Jesus. And then on the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1 before Jesus ascends, the 11 apostles are there. There's one other, a little bit of trivia. One other person, Saul was an eyewitness, but it was later. Do you remember who that is? Paul did, okay? So there are multiple instances of people being eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. I would point out to us, it's important to see that as Jesus began to reveal himself after the resurrection, he appeared in the beginning um, to all believers, everyone who was a believer. Paul was the only unbeliever that he revealed himself to, that we see in Acts chapter 9. After that, Paul obviously becomes a believer and begins to follow the Lord. But initially, he just reveals himself to um, believers. Each of these were very specific. They were personal. And they were confirmation that Jesus indeed was alive. There's a lot of witnesses to be able to try to refute um, that they had not seen. 500 people at one time. Um, The eleven saw him multiple times. James was able to see him. The women were able to see him. And so it was a a number of witnesses who saw the resurrected um, Lord. So we're going to encounter Mary of Magdala again. We call her Mary Magdalene. We're going to encounter her again today. Um, Let me remind us of who she was. At one time, she was so tormented in her life, she had seven demons living inside of her. And Jesus has cast these demons out. Her life has been transformed. She becomes a follower of Jesus with the group, following with the apostles, investing of her life and her time, listening, learning, supporting them um, in the places that they went. She is an incredible message of God's grace and God's great mercy. So a woman so devastated, by the way, I would think this is just an assumption on my part, that if you have seven demons living inside of you, you have been living a sinful life. You have welcomed and opened your life up to this invitation for the demons to come to reside inside of your life. And so we don't know what Mary did, what her life was like, but we do know that seven demons were living inside of her. And so she becomes this, again, this incredible message of God's grace, how He redeems people, And she gets to see the risen Lord first. She gets to see Him, hear from Him, and talk with Him. We'll also see her today weeping in the garden. We just read it a while ago. She is weeping in the garden, and they are wasted tears, for they are not necessary where she is. Something incredibly significant that she doesn't realize yet has happened and take place. And so we will see again today that I began to set up for us last week as she originally stood before the empty tomb. Today, she gets a little closer. When she comes back for a second time, she gets a little closer. And just like John did, where he stooped down to look inside of it, the second time she comes at back, she does the same thing. She wants to see inside the tomb. Before, she just looked at it from a distance, saw the stone was rolled away. It was clear that the body was not there. And so standing before the tomb in her first instance, if you will remember with me, she makes up a story in her mind. She tries to fill in the blanks. And her thought is this. Somebody's come, rolled the stone away, and they have stolen Jesus' body. None of that is true. But it becomes kind of her gospel truth in the moment of her thinking this is the case. She's going to continue it on in the morning, um, the rest of the morning. She's going to look at Jesus, and she's going to fill in a blank about Jesus. He's a gardener. Maybe Jesus was a gardener, but on this day, she looks at him. This must be the gardener, and this must be the guy who knows inside information as to where the body is. And she will ask him for a favor. Please let me know so that I can go and I can find his body and I can do something with it. There's a danger, and I want to repeat this, and we will look at it again a little bit more today, of us... Making up our own conclusions about what 's true about Jesus, incredibly dangerous. we can do this in our relationships we 've all done this even in a work setting. We look at someone they have a, a look on their face, and we think they 're probably thinking about something at home, someplace else, the stress of their bank account, and we 're wanting them to to respond to us in a certain way, and they don 't and so we assume in that moment that they're upset about something with us, and we begin to fill in the blanks, begin to fill in things of what they're thinking, and they're not thinking anything about us. And so, so we do that relationally. Mary has done it on the day of the resurrection. And so I want to walk through this today and, and let us see some really incredible things to learn from Mary that I think will encourage us today in our faith. Look with me again in verse 11. Follow along with me, please. And I want to talk first of all this morning about Mary's broken heart. And in the moment, she's, she has a broken heart with no prospect of healing in her mind. That's what she thinks. How is this ever going to be fixed? How is this going to be healed? So Mary stood outside the tomb, verse 11 says, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. So again, this is the second time for Mary to be back at the empty tomb on this morning. She is the picture of someone who has a devastated heart. And she doesn't know what to do about it. Her heart is broken. The body of Jesus is gone. This is the one that I've loved. She's come to anoint his body with spices. Now someone has come. They've rolled the stone away. They've stolen his body. They've taken it away. And she doesn't know what to do. Now her actions reveal how much she loves Jesus. She's come back. She wants to be. She knows where he was last. So she comes back to where she knows that he was. And she keeps coming back to that place. Why? Because she loves him. And she wants to be. Near him. Now, this word in verse 11 that says that as she stood outside the tomb, she was weeping is an interesting Greek word. I don't know if you've ever cried this way. This is what this Greek word means. This was a not quiet crying. This is the kind of crying that is loud. You ever cried that way? Or have you ever seen someone cry that way? Where they're so devastated about something, the tears just go, the emotion that's there is a heartbroken, and she is standing near the tomb now where she can get close to see inside, and out loud she is weeping. If anybody was around, they would have been able to heard her weeping outside of the tomb. This is where her heart is. It's devastated. Somebody has come and stolen away the body of Jesus. Her response though is not fitting to the reality of the situation. Jesus is not in the tomb because somebody stole his body. Jesus is not in the tomb because he walked out of the tomb. And so now she's sad, devastated, weeping out loud, and it's not fitting to the situation. And the reason that she doesn't realize what's happened on this morning, again, I I want to take us back to, that the angels in one of the other Gospels tell the women, which Mary Magdalene was there, do y'all remember what he told you? That this was going to happen, that he was going to be betrayed, he would be killed, and he would rise again. Remember that he told you this. So she's been given the words of Jesus. Now she stands before the tomb and makes up her own conclusion as to what the empty tomb means. And instead of embracing the words of Jesus and letting that correct her perspective, she's going to go with her own perspective, and it's kept her in a state of sadness on this morning. She is weeping. Her response reveals the incredible importance that every one of us need in our lives, and that is we need a full revelation of the truth of Jesus. In each aspect of who He is, what He does how he loves, for without it, we will naturally respond inappropriately. She is weeping out loud, listen, needlessly. She doesn't need to be sad in this way. She doesn't need to be weeping out loud. Jesus told her this was going to happen. So I thought more this week about my life and your life and I can't really speak about your life as much as I can speak about my life. I know in my own life, when I make up my own conclusions about what God's doing that aren't lined up with what God is doing, and I make up my own conclusions as to trying to determine what's happening and taking place, my focus is off. And I don't understand what's happening, and so I have to go back to the Scripture. I have to go back and read again and pray more, get counsel from other people, and here's Mary on this day. She, again, she's made up her own conclusion about this. She is weeping out loud needlessly. J.C. Ryle, in writing about this, I read this, um, I heard this when I was listening to a sermon this week. He wrote these words. He said, two-thirds of the things that we fear in life never happen, and yet we're fearful of them. And then he wrote, Two thing, two-thirds of the tears that we shed are thrown away in vain because we don't fully understand what God's doing and what he's up to in the situation. And again, we've made up our own story about things. She should have been shouting from a heart greatly lifted in joy. He told us he was not going to be here. He is not here. So praise him. I don't know where he is, but he told me this was going to happen. And here it is. It has happened. So I'm going to trust and embrace God's word. All of us need this in our lives. To look at the truth of God's word. And to embrace what's there. And to celebrate that God has specifically spoken. Given direction that's clear for us to understand. And Mary again is stuck in the sadness of the moment. Because she's not embracing What Jesus had been telling them. She's stuck in that place. Truth is only, truth is always truth, by the way, but truth really has an impact in our life when it only rests in Christ. Now, our world has a problem with this, does it not? Our world says, have whatever truth you want, any version that you want to make up. In this situation, this can be true. In another situation, what was true here can be not true here. Because whatever fits us in the moment, that can be our truth. But that's not the case. Truth is truth. And truth is the thing that brings us the freedom that we need in our life. And so when the truth rests in Christ, and it should for us as followers of Jesus, it changes our perspective. And so where Mary is going to remain stuck in her own version of what has happened with Jesus and the tomb until a biblical revelation, a... Revelation of Jesus from himself to her helps her in the matter. She's missing the moment, missing what God's doing. She needs a revelation. And so as she stands outside of the tomb, she still has no idea of the glory that has happened and taken place just hours before. Her lack of knowledge is not evidence that something did not happen Because people cannot know something has happened, and it has happened, and it's actually true. And so she doesn't know about it, but it has happened. And sometimes in our life, this is the way it is with many people. Sometimes when they are around Christianity, they miss some of the key pieces of the fullness of the important things in regard to doctrine and truth of God's Word that keeps them from believing faith and having a stronger faith to trust in the Lord. So here's Mary. Let's let's look at the picture full of a broken heart, and in her mind thinking, how is my heart ever going to be fixed again? She's devastated. Out loud weeping. Big tears coming in. Stooping down, looking inside of the tomb, and wondering, there's no way that my devastated heart is going to get fixed. Jesus is gone, and I'm never going to see him again. By the way, I remind us, none of them believed that the resurrection was actually going to happen. The women will go back. They'll go back and tell the 11. We've seen the Lord. You know what it says? They disbelieved the women's testimony. They didn't believe it themselves. They weren't even expecting a resurrection from Christ. What she is experiencing is normal in regard to grieving. But if she had believed and trusted in Christ's words, she would have had a response of joy on this morning. Let me say this. Authentic healing that we need in our lives, the healing that our hearts need, that our minds need, our lives need, our families need, cannot come until we know the resurrected Lord, until we know what has been done for us on our behalf for his glory that Christ has risen from the dead. Note, I want to point this out, She goes back to the tomb. She doesn't know what to do, so she goes back to the tomb. But I want to remind you and I, some aspects of those within Christianity, they're big on shrines. We're not shrine people. Now, I I would love this afternoon to get on a plane to go to Israel. I'd love to go see some of those things. But I don't need to go there to worship the Lord. I just need to be right here. I need to be in my backyard. I need to be at my kitchen table. I can worship Him just as well. I don't have to go to shrines to experience Christ. Christ is greater than places. He is presence. He is presence wherever we are, in whatever moment, in our greatest joy, in our greatest heartache. And in this morning he's, that we're reading about, He is there and He's going to clarify everything for her. And so she's come back to the tomb. And she's staring in the tomb and she's going to need to turn around in a moment and to see the risen Christ who is there. So here she needs a little nudging today. Sometimes, do you need a little nudging? I do. Sometimes we need a little bit of nudging to shift our focus to the right place. A good reminder is that we need to be always open to shifting our focus to, from what is not real to what is real. And this is what Mary needs this day. She's come up with her own conclusion. She's running with it, and what she needs to see is what is real, and that is Christ has risen from the dead. There's been no stealing of a body. So Mary looks into the tomb, and it just seems empty, and it seems hopeless now, and she needs a fuller revelation. Look with me in 12 and 13. Let's look at the second thing. Let me talk for a moment about the ministry of angels. She saw two angels in white. So when she stoops down, looks inside, and they're sitting where the body of Jesus was. One where his head was lying and one where his feet were. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Again, they they recognize your weeping doesn't fit here. It doesn't fit the setting. Why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So I want to talk about this just for a moment. Can you imagine, just for a second with me, try to imagine, I I don't know if we can fully grasp the, the significance of it, of this. For a long, 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 long time, earth time, Jesus was in heaven and the angels just worshiped him. Isaiah got a glimpse of it. Remember what Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6? He saw the angels calling back and forth to one another about the holiness of Christ. John, later on in Revelation, he gets a picture of heaven as well and this worship is happening. There's this bowing down at Jesus in heaven. He's been gone from heaven, earthwise, for about 33 years. And so they've been watching him do his ministry, live in obscurity for about 30 years. Now do significant three years worth of ministry. They have seen him die on the cross. They know he's been put in the tomb. Can you imagine the joy of the angels that he is alive again on this morning? Can you imagine these two angels sitting inside the tomb? I don't know what angels do. Can you just imagine them? They're angels in disguise and, in a sense, and they're just sitting there waiting to be... Angels are ministering helpers to people, waiting to help Mary understand what has happened and taken place. Angels never make much of themselves. They make much of God They would never make a lot of noise about themselves. They are ministers for God, declaring and doing ministry for Him. Hebrews 1.6 says this about angels. And again, when He brings the firstborn into the world, He says, let all God's angels worship Him. And of the angels, He says, He makes His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. They have reverent, the angels do reverent, passionate Worship for the glory of Christ. And they've been used throughout history to minister to God's people. Job 38.4 says this, The angels were present and they rejoiced when the foundation of the world was laid. When God laid the foundation of the world, God speaking to the Job says this, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what where its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? And when the morning stars, speaking of the angels, and when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy that God had made the earth. And they just shouted that God had created this. And so they were present and rejoiced when God founded the world. The heavenly city of God is filled with them. And I don't, I don't really know what this is like. We're going to get to see it one day. The the writer says that the angels they festal gather. I don't know what really that fully means. It's just celebratory gathering. But can you imagine what it's like? Holy, perfect, obedient angels festal gathering together, celebrating the Lord. Here's what Hebrews twelve twenty two says. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering. They just celebrate that they're in the presence of God. Thirdly, we know that they are mighty and they obey God perfectly. Psalm one oh three thirty. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. They were used in Jesus' life when he was a young boy to be warned to flee from what Herod was wanting to do. You know what the role in our lives is? By the way, they're in the room today. They minister to God's people as the Spirit does. They are not equal to God, but they are present all the time. Innumerable festal gatherings. They are everywhere. You read in, in Matthew and there's an indication there that every child has an angel that is present around them and in and around them. So we are consistently surrounded by angels. Their role in our lives is they surround and encamp God's people. Psalm 34, 7, an angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Hebrews thirteen, two. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You know what that verse means? That sometimes they even show up today in people's lives looking like us and they're angels to minister to us in that moment. And so he says, entertain strangers. Welcome them. Why? Because sometimes it may be an angel that has stepped into your life so here's Mary weeping out loud looking inside remember last week grave clothes were the emphasis last week right? Mary looks inside she doesn't see any grave clothes I'm not suggesting that they're gone but you've got two people sitting inside a tomb that once held the body of Jesus and she looks inside and there are two of them there why were they there? Why were they there? We have to ask that question. Let me try to answer it. They were there, I believe, to say to Mary and to say to others that this was not a grave robbing. This was a work of God. Angels are present. Why? Because God has done a work. And the angels are there to communicate that God has done a work on this day. So they are going to share with her to help her and point her. Their presence is further evidence that the grave was not robbed by humans, but God had done a work, and that's why the angels are present. Now, let me just talk about this for a moment. Do you all remember the Ark of the Covenant? If you don't remember it, go to Indiana Jones, okay? and At least that was a a replica. So it was gold. It had some manna in there, um, some stuff from Moses, really significant things were in the Ark. But on top of it was something called the mercy seat. On top was this flat place. It was made of gold. It it was the lid to this. And on both sides were what? Angels. Golden angels. They're facing one another. Watch this. Don't miss this. They're facing one another, and the mercy seat is right here. So look inside the empty tomb. One's on one side. One's on the other. Communicating to Mary, letting us see that a new work where now it's not a priest coming in and sprinkling blood on the mercy seat, but the Son of God had died. He had shed His blood. And now the angels are there declaring and affirming the reality He is not here. Luke asked the women, Why are you looking for the living where the dead reside? Why are you looking for He who is alive where the dead are. And so, so they are there to call out to Mary and to the others that Jesus has risen from the grave. Exodus 25-2 describes the two angels on top of the Ark of the Covenant in the mercy seat. In verse 2 it says this, God says, I will meet you there at the mercy seat. And guess what He's about to do in Mary's life? He's about to meet her there, just outside the tomb where the two angels are sitting, where His head was. And his feet were. It is a great place to meet Jesus at the cross and the resurrection. And this is exactly what happens with Mary. So Mary, Mary is now experiencing both of those realities. On Friday afternoon, she stood at the cross and watched Christ die. Now she's at the cross and she's going to see the resurrected Lord here in just a moment. They do not explain to her in that moment um, the significance of the empty tomb. They don't have a Bible study there. They don't take her back to Old Testament pictures. They simply ask Mary, why are you weeping in a place like this? Why are you weeping? They see her response is out of place. Therefore, she needs to get her perspective of the Lord and of this day fixed in the moment here. There is no need to weep and mourn for the risen Lord. Why? Because he is alive. He's not dead. It's not hopeless, it is hopeful because of what He has done. And so the angels point Mary in that direction. They point her in this direction. You know, God's met humans in many different places throughout history. He met them in a garden. He would come in the garden and He would spend time with Adam and Eve. He came down and met them as they traveled in the desert at the tent. Then when the temple was built by Solomon, God would come and He would meet them there he met moses at a bush he met them at the mercy sea that's what exodus 25 2 says and now on this day outside of jerusalem he meets mary at an empty tomb now jesus is going to enter the picture look with me in 13 through 15 so they said to her woman why are you weeping she said to them well they have taken away my lord and i do not know where they have laid him look at 14 now having said this she turned around we don't know why she turned around Did she hear Jesus behind her? She turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So let's let's build on this just for a moment. Jesus says the same thing. Did you notice that, what the angel said? What is the same thing that he says? Why are you weeping? This is not a place for weeping. Something incredible has happened here today. So woman, why are you weeping here before this tomb? Angels have asked that. Now Jesus is asking this. In the presence of Jesus should be one now to incredibly, incredibly celebrate. So she is crying tears of unbelief. She needs to believe. All of this is unnecessary emotion for the moment. Again, Jesus has told her this was going to happen and take place. So they ask her a question. Why are you weeping? To rouse her from her sadness, to direct her to a place of gladness, to see the risen Christ. Something magnificent has happened already on this day. and it, It deserves a different response than the one that she is giving. The empty tomb should excite us. Amen? It should excite us as it reveals to us the wonderful things that God has done and opened the door for us to know and experience. So she says back to them, why are you weeping in a place like this? And again, when you, when you put the other gospel with it, they ask them, why are, why are you looking for the living among the dead? So she here says, well, they've taken away, I want you to notice the words change, much more personal. Before it's, they've taken away the Lord. Now she says, they've taken away my Lord. My Lord is gone. He's not here. They've taken him away. And I don't know where they have laid him. I want to come back to it. Listen to me. Look at at 13 again. She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Here's a question. It's a response question. Y'all ready? Is that a true statement she makes or a lie? It's a lie. Nobody's taken him away. She doesn't need inside information to go find where his body is. So again, she's still stuck in the moment of her own conclusions, of what her own version of truth is, and her heart is stuck in this perplexed state and can't make sense of the circumstances and what she sees. Let's be honest. Life can be like this at times where you just can't make the sense of the moment. Colin Woodward's in the room here today, and I didn't ask you permission, but I don't know the full story, but I don't care if you gave me permission or not. This, um, Colin just graduated from Texas A&M, and uh, I, I got a speech communications degree He got a aerospace, aeronautical, like really significant degree. Really, really smart. He was not able to find a job at all. Went to all the places where you get hired on for people who who work for NASA and all this kind of stuff. He just randomly, randomly appeared in a restaurant one day. And a young woman was there whose dad works for a company here in McKinney who was hiring in his field. He had applied, 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 applied. Some, and I know there was a while, because I talked to your parents, where they're like, man, God, you're going to have to come through. God, you're going to have to do things. Sometimes we look at situations and we just wonder, God, what are you up to? You know what God's doing? How about just wait and let me do what I do and at the right time, in my will and in my purpose, I'll bring such clarification to what you need to do with your life but trust me don't come up with your own conclusions don't ascribe to me things that you think that i'm doing that i'm not doing just walk and trust can't life be like that at times we're trying to figure out what god's doing oh and he's doing stuff he's doing stuff he's at work he's moving And today he says, if I don't give you the answer today, here's what I'm asking you. You trust me today. And tomorrow, if I don't show you what you think that you need to know on Monday, you trust me because I love you. Listen, the cross and the resurrection are not because God doesn't love us. They are because God loves us. God has a will for us and a purpose for us. We must walk in obedience and wait and trust. We walk in obedience and we wait and trust. And as we walk in obedience, you know what God does to obedient people? He blesses them. He blesses them. And so sometimes it's in situations like Colin experienced. A lot of waiting. A lot of what's going to come. And then God just comes through. And you just raise your hands, right? And just say, praise him. Praise him for who he is. So here's Mary. Just like that, like we are. We can't make any sense out of the moment. Trying to figure out, what do we do? Mary needs a new encounter. Listen, the empty tomb is her hope. But as long as she continues to stare into the empty tomb, she's going to miss who's just a few feet away. Who's a few feet away? Jesus. By the way, he's not going back into the tomb. He's not going to find him there. She's not going to find him laying somewhere. She's just going to have to hear something and turn around, and there he is, looking like a gardener. Is that not amazing? It's kind of interesting that she looks at the resurrected Lord, and she just, there's a gardener. No, no, that's the eternal resurrected Son of God standing there. And again, she has a picture of what Jesus looks like, and he looks differently for a number of reasons. Let me share a few, few more things and we'll move to the next part here. She comes to the tomb and hangs around to see a dead body. You know why he stays around at the tomb on this day? To reveal that he has an alive body. To reveal that. She's come to see a dead body. He stays around to show that he has an alive body. We're not told why, but she's not able to recognize Jesus. As a matter of fact, most of the people who saw the resurrected Lord didn't see him. He was different. His body was different. They didn't recognize him. And so she's weeping over and seeking what's not there. And so Jesus asks the same question. Why are you weeping? Yes, Jesus knows everything. He knows why she's weeping. But he, see, he sees her t- tears of sadness as not belonging to the moment. And she needs to see him, and so he speaks directly to her. She makes two more assumptions. She's already made multiple assumptions today. Somebody's come, rolled the stone away. They've stolen the body. It's gone. Now she sees Jesus, and she makes two more assumptions. This is the gardener, and he's a body snatcher. And she asks nicely, body snatcher man, can you tell me where you have taken the body? He's my Lord. Do you hear the love there? Can you tell me where he is? And I'll go and get him and I'll carry him. Is she going to be able to carry the body by herself? No. But it just kind of shows the state of where she is and the sadness that fills her heart in the moment. Unbelieving or unbelief will blind us from seeing the Lord's activity and his presence in our lives. He's been at work. God's been at work on that Sunday morning, by the way. And she just can't see it yet. Maybe you're here today and God's at work in your life and maybe you can't see it. What you need to see is Him. When we see Him and we worship Him and we glorify Him, then we're able to see the glory of who He is and transformation happens and takes place. So look at verse 16. So Jesus said to her, Mary... And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Let's talk about this just for a moment. Y'all remember John chapter 10? The sheep know whose voice? The shepherd's voice, Right? And because they know the shepherd's voice, if if a hired hand comes in and pretends that they're the shepherd or something of that nature, the sheep don't listen. Why? Because they know the voice of the shepherd. I want you to note the beautiful picture here. Again, the most significant day in the history of the world. And tenderly, Jesus says, Mary, Mary. How many times had she heard that voice in her life? Over the, those previous years and days. And she is a believer. That's why she's there that day. She's one to figure it out, she's trying to understand it. Mary. And she immediately recognizes, teacher, I'm in the presence of my teacher, the one who teaches me about life. His personal use of her name cleared up all the confusion that she was having in the moment. And so she must have done this. And we know this, that the other women, Matthew, I think Matthew records this, that the other women, if you remember, they go over and they fall at his feet and they grab his feet. And so he says to the women and he says to Mary here as well, look at 17, do not cling to me for I've yet, I've not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. So she, she clings to him. Why is she clinging to him? Let's be honest. She's like, I'm not letting you get away from me again. So she goes and she clings to him. and He's like, don't cling to me. Things are different now, Mary. You're not going to be able to relate to me like it was before the cross and before the resurrection. I'm, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to go away. And so you're clinging me, is thinking that things are going to be as they have been. They are not going to be as they've been. And so she's clinging with that kind of that, that idea and that mindset that she's not going to let him get away again and so the implication from jesus here is she's grabbed on to what he's wearing she's holding his feet i don't don't know what it is but she is clinging to him now you may go well gosh her heart's been sad and and now she's like you're alive how awesome is that and 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 now he's like not being nice woman quit touching me that's not what he's saying okay Please hear, that is not what he is saying. He is not rejecting her response to him. He is letting her know that something incredibly significant has happened. And how she used to relate to Jesus was not going to be the same. Things were going to be different. And she had a task. Jesus had a task for her. Mary, go tell about Go tell that you've seen me and that we've talked. Go let the brothers know that I am alive. She did not need to hold on to him as if she would never see him again. He had a purpose for her to go and tell the next piece of the gospel. She is seeing him with her old view of him in mind. He's different now. Things have changed. I want to ask a question and we're going to wrap this up this morning. I want you to really ask yourself honestly this question. I asked it of myself this week and asked it again this morning when I got up to walk through the sermon again. What Jesus are you clinging to? Baby Jesus in a manger? Revolutionary Jesus dealing with the hypocritical religious leaders? Turning the money changers? Over in the temple, Jesus. Still on the cross, Jesus. I'm not a big fan of that as well. He's not on the cross anymore. He was on the cross. He's not on the cross anymore, right? He's not in the tomb anymore. Some people want to cling to Jesus on the cross. Or are you and I clinging to the risen, exalted, victorious Jesus? Now, all of those are important. All of those are important. But we need to be clinging to power Jesus, who has conquered death and has arisen from the grave and has ascended and he is reigning. This is an incredible moment in the garden here. The woman, again, listen to this, who was once possessed by seven demons is standing in the presence of angels and is the first one to see the risen Jesus. What a blessing and a change comes to our lives because of Jesus Christ. Look at our own lives. Look who we've become. Not because we have become something, but because he has done something significant. All of our lives have been so changed by him. He comes to those who love him Even those who don't yet understand everything. And he helps her see the truth, and he will help you and I see the truth. From demons inhabiting our life to seeing Jesus near the empty tomb, what a life Mary got to live. This is what Jesus does, though. This is what he does. He doesn't leave us where we are, he transforms us, he changes us. Think about this for a moment. He could have paraded through the streets of Jerusalem shouting, Here I am. You know, I just walked through these streets the other day carrying the cross. Here I am. He could have gone to Pilate, knocked on the door. Should have listened to your wife's dream. Listen, you should have listened. Here I am. He could have gone to the high priest and said in an Arnold Schwarzenegger boy, I'm Bob, you know, he could have, could have done something like that. What does he do? He finds a woman sobbing her eyes out loudly and he fixes her broken heart on this morning. Don't you ever say Jesus is not personal. Look what he does to Mary's life on this morning. He doesn't go to the top of the temple and say, here I am. But to a sad woman on this day, he gives joy into her life and he gives her a task. To go proclaim Jesus. She's the first commissioned person to go tell about the risen Christ. And she does. What an honor for her. Just one last thing as we finish up this. The first time Jesus calls the 11 brothers is right here. He's called them friends before in John 13. But he's not called them brothers. Why, The resurrection has changed things. So he tells her, go tell my brother, go to my brothers, my brothers, and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Something has changed because of the resurrection. And so he calls them brothers. So Mary responds as we finish up. The response of a transformed life is this. She went and did what Jesus said she announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she tells them the things that he had said to her, which would have been what we just read there. He said, don't cling. I couldn't cling to him because he's about to leave. He's going to ascend. Um, but he wanted me to come and tell you that he is alive. Luke 24, 10 what I referred to a while ago. She goes back and tells them. And Luke writes that it appeared to the 11 as nonsense and they didn't believe what she said. They would believe it later that night when he just pops into the room. And we'll begin to talk about that next week. So what are some takeaways? Let me give you a a few takeaways as we finish up today. We must, I cannot stress this enough, we must put aside... Man-centered conclusions, we must put them aside and we must embrace biblical-centered conclusions about God. Again, she's weeping needlessly when she could have been rejoicing if she would have trusted in what Christ had told her. Second thing, the empty tomb. God meets us not in the empty tomb, but He meets us because of the empty tomb. And so we don't have to go back to a shrine. We don't have to today get on a plane and we want to experience the power of the resurrection. Go to the garden tomb. We don't have to do that. Right here, he's present. And we can experience him right here this morning. God meets us in Jesus because of the empty tomb. Thirdly, we should live in expectation. We should live in anticipation that God honors His Word. His Word will be fulfilled. It will equip us. It will cut through the lies so that we know what the truth is. That's what Mary needed on this day. So the angels are like, why are you weeping here? Why are you looking for those? the one that's living among the dead? No, He told you. Remember what He told you? He told you this was going to happen. We must live in anticipation that God honors His Word and those who walk and follow His Word, He honors that. Fourthly, though on that day he said, don't cling to me, I think he would say today, cling to the resurrected Jesus. We cling to him. We hold on to him. He is ascended. He is exalted today, interceding in our behalf. Last takeaway is this. We should live a commissioned life. That we are called to go. We are called to share. We are called to tell the story that Christ has risen from the dead. I just want to take a brief moment and say this as we finish. So at 17 years old, junior in high school, I was lost as could be. And I was broken hearted trying to figure it out. I didn't cry every night, but I was broken hearted. I didn't know what to do. Beginning of my junior year, I got my syllabus. Fourth period, Algebra two. Uh-oh. I'm not a math brain. A lot of hard work went into me passing math and accomplishing that. But my whole junior year, after the first six weeks, my dad said, you're getting help. Little did I know that God was at work doing something in another family's life in Meridian, Texas, not far outside of Waco, where I grew up. And that family was being transferred from Meridian to Waco, where the dad was going to be a president of the bank, a local bank there. They loved Jesus. So in my fourth period class was a guy named Todd Still. He's a New Testament professor now. And he was weird. Weird Jesus kind of person. I was lost. I didn't like church. Didn't like coming on Sunday mornings. Had to come. Took my bulletin. Colored in all the O's. The circles of the P's. Tic-tac-toe with my other friends who didn't want to be at church. But God used Algebra Two in my life in this way. Todd became my tutor. So every night before a test, I was at the still house, and we were walking through problems for the test the next day. Little did I know, little did I know, that, that it wasn't about me ultimately passing Algebra Two, which I did. And have never taken another math class in my life except for freshman math. Do you know what Algebra Two was about? that I would watch Todd for a year and I would listen to how he talked to his girlfriend that was different than the way I talked to my girlfriend if I ever had one, it was different he responded to things in sports differently than I did and so at the end of my junior year you know what happened to this life? Jesus revealed himself to me and I believed and this is what God does. He just transforms people. Has he not transformed you in a, w- in a different way than me? He does that. He transformed Mary. And he commissions us. He gives us a life to do something. To not just hold it in. I, I thought about yesterday. Can you imagine what she thought about and, and what her face was like as she ran to find the 11? Can you imagine what she felt Can you imagine her bursting in the room? I've talked to him, sawing, just a few minutes ago, in the garden. By the way, he's not in there. He looked like a gardener for a second, but he wasn't. I saw him. I touched him. And he told me to come to you to tell you he is alive. He's alive. What a blessing she had. What a blessing we have today. To hear the story again, but also to be entrusted with the same task that Mary had, to tell the gospel story. Let's pray.